welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 243, the Philip Vanderpool Q&A seminar from the 2019 NWTF convention, and I am your host and the guy who stinks at farming. Not really, but I'll tell you a little bit more about that here in just a minute. But right now, we are 268 days, 12 hours, 23 minutes, and 23 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So, The reason that I was jokingly saying that I stink at farming is, and I can't remember if I told you guys this or not, I think that I did, but right around the middle of May, I disked up my fields on my piece of property that I own south of Birmingham and planted some chufa. So I had already disked the fields, oh, I don't know, two or three times prior to that. And so that particular day I went down And I sprayed the fields with Roundup to kill the weeds that were there, let it dry, disked the fields under again, and planted chufa. Then I covered the chufa up, and I left to go on a hunting trip. And actually, I think I left to go on two hunting trips, but I can't remember the exact date I put that in the ground. Anyway, the chufa sat in the ground for three weeks with no rain. And I haven't been down there to check on my planting until this past weekend. And when I got down there, I pulled up to the fields and I thought, well, the fields look good. There's not any weeds, but the chufa should be fairly tall, tall enough to where I should be seeing it. So I get out of the truck, I walk over and I start walking through the fields. And there's literally thousands of little bitty craters dug in the ground. So because we went so long without getting any rain, the turkeys, the coons, the crows, and probably some deer dug up the majority of the chufa that I planted. There's some chufa that's up out of the ground that's probably about three or four inches tall, but I mean you could probably count the number of chufa plants that are actually growing on an acre. Really it's about three quarters of an acre, but you could count that literally on your hands and toes. So I'm going to go back down and give this one more shot because we're starting to get rain fairly regularly here around the Birmingham area. So my hope is I'll get some more in the ground and possibly we'll get some rain 
and it will have a chance to mature before the first frost comes, which really probably won't be until the end of October-ish around here. So should be safe. The chufa needs about 100 days, 90 to 100 days to mature, so we're right up about the 1st of July. And fortunately for me, I still have about 25 pounds of chufa seed left over from my planting. So I won't be able to plant as much. I'll only be able to do about a half of an acre without buying another box from the NWTF. But a half acre is better than no acre. So looks like I'll be getting some tractor time this weekend. Okay, I was going to play my second New York hunt for you guys, but the J-O-B has different plans for me this week. And I just don't have the 12 to 14 extra hours to spend this week that that episode is going to require of me to put together. I also still have another episode of Turkey Soup for you guys to get you caught up on turkey news, but I didn't want to do two turkey soup episodes back to back. So today I'm bringing you guys some content from the NWTF convention and sports show from this past February in Nashville. I'm going to play the Q&A seminar that Philip Vanderpool put on in Ray I's absence. I think Philip did a great job filling in for Ray on very short notice. The seminar is a little bit over an hour long so I'm going to quit flapping my gums and get you into the seminar. Listen in closely, and I'll see you guys on the other side. I don't know most of you guys know coming in here and stuff there. I'm kind of filling in for Ray I because he had an emergency, and uh, John asked me to come up here and do this. I normally do a video presentation here and really try to blow it out of the park, but since we just kind of got caught in this, I want to talk about what you guys talk, want to talk about in, when it comes to turkey hunting. And I'll get up here, I'll probably carry this old mic around. I've got some calls and stuff. We can talk box calls, slate, mouth calls, whatever y'all want to talk about. But I'll probably start this out and tell you how I got into this whole thing. I don't even know if it's time to start or not. Do you? 12 minutes. 12, oh, well, we got a little time. But we can talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. <laughs> um, how about deer hunting? Everybody have a good deer season? Because most, most turkey hunters deer hunt. I mean, did y'all have a good no. season? Did it really? Oh, Let too many of them walk and then ended up at the end of the year not having one. Buddy, been there and done that a lot of times. I know, you, you know. know. I wish I'd have gone back on <laughs> I know, always waiting. I, I do got a story that never happened to me before. I got run up a tree with a bear this year, so. Buddy, I tell you what. Taught me to always go out in the woods with a pistol. <laughs> what? Now, where were you at when that happened? Uh, about an hour east of here. Really? North of Cookville. No sow with cubs, or do you? Did was there an old sow with some cubs? It was a big old boar. Oh boy! About a six foot, two hundred fifty pound boar. Did you, did you end up having to put him down? Or? No, I didn't put him down. I pooped on him. But <laughs> <laughs> y'all hear that? He pooped on him. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause all, I, all I had was a, a crossbow and a couple of bolts. I didn't, at the time, I didn't have a gun. <laughs> I got, that's funny you said that. I got caught out there. It's been a couple of years ago, but out scouting in the summer, you know, putting some trail cameras and stuff. And I walked up on an old sow and had, had two cubs. 
And dude, I'm telling you, I learned a lesson real quick. She she huffed them up the tree. They went right up the tree, and then she stood there and made some of the most ungodly sounds I've ever heard. And she was not backing down. This one just one of my slim gems. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's what he come in for. Oh, he got through eating one. I know he smelled it. Came he came right to my tree. Mm. Yeah, we got quite a few bears up there where I'm from. There in Arkansas, and uh, I'm up around Harrison, but I'm born and raised at Jasper there on the Buffalo River there. Graduated high school in Camden. Camden. I had an uncle, Uncle Emmett Vanderpool, lived down there in Camden. Sure did. You bet. You betcha. Oh, I got y'all. I can't wait for turkey season. I think it's going to be a good year if we can. <laughs> if we don't get washed out with all this rain and moisture. It's crazy. I wish we'd get more kids in here. That breaks my heart not seeing these kids. It's just we're losing our numbers like crazy, guys. I mean, it's really bad. And now with this CWD outbreak and stuff, it's causing a lot of hunters to quit hunting. It's sad. I hate to see it. I sure there do. There goes our political voice in the future, too. I, exactly. But, you know, um, it's, it's funny. We talk about our kids and stuff, but now that I became a grandpa, and, and I don't have any grandsons. I've got three grandbaby girls, and my oldest is only four now. But I want to say that I got her started out there at two years old in the summertime, and I'd put some of that game hide. They got a product called Alimitic, and I'm not trying to sell you Alimitic by no means, but it does to keep them sticks and chiggers off them kids. And I got her out there doing that and checking trail cameras and she honestly has taught me, I think, to help other people to get their kids involved. And when I say that, we'd be out there checking those trail cameras. She'd say, Papa, what's this? Papa, what's that? And it got to me to thinking, man, these kids, they're, they're intrigued about a granddaddy long leg or a roly-poly. Y'all remember the roly-polies and stuff like that? That's how she she got me doing this. And so now we're talking deer tracks and I'll show her a white oak tree, talk about it, talk about the white oak acorn and stuff like that. But she taught me things that we can get our kids out there and get them involved in the outdoors even though they're not legal to go hunting. You don't have to wait till they're 10 or 12 years old and that's our problem because by the time they're 10 or 12 years old, we've lost that. They're on the computers and everything else. We've lost that. They're doing the social media thing and, and it's, it's sad to see that going. I mean, and we don't get these guys involved, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in trouble because I can tell you right now, a lot of my folks there, uh, we had a big outbreak of that CWD there in Arkansas where I'm at. It's really starting to shut down the hunters. People are afraid to eat the meat. I don't know. So it's, it's, it's sad to see, but no, I just want to be here with you guys. And if you got questions on anything I can help you with, because, and I don't mean this in a bragging manner, but bow hunting is, is my thing. And Turkey hunting, what I love about it, though, is it's how I can help introduce people to hunting. And it doesn't matter how old they are. My wife started hunting last year for the first time, 55 years old, shot her first turkey. Not only did she shoot one, she shot four. We went on some trips, and she's eat up with it. 
she's realized what she's been missing. And I did not force that on her. So we'll probably go ahead and get started here, guys. I'm just hanging out. I'm just going to wing it. And this is an open topic that we can talk about anything you want to evolving around turkey hunting. Because I, like I say, I've been blessed in this hunting industry to do pretty much about everything in front of the camera, behind the camera setups, how I can teach you how to set up cameras to get, get your hunts on video that makes it pretty simple for you where you don't have to because a lot of times when that old turkey's coming and gobbling and stuff, it's them old nerves can take over and, and you forget to hit the record button or whatever. But I'm here to accommodate y'all. You didn't bring mine. <laughs> You just got one? <laughs> Anyhow, I'm Philip Vanderpool. I've been in this old hunting industry a long time. And where I call home is a place called Harrison, Arkansas. If anybody knows where Branson, Missouri's at, I'm about 30, 40 miles south of Branson there, right in the heart of the Ozark Mountains. That's where I cut my teeth turkey hunting and deer hunting and I'll tell you, I've been blessed, and you know, long story short, I'll just kind of tell you how I got started in this. I, uh, I've always been a hunter. Daddy taught me well. Shot my first squirrel when I was four years old with an old single shot Ethica 22, lever action. And my daddy actually handed the gun. He, did, he wasn't holding it for me or nothing when I shot that first squirrel. And I'm just telling you, I've been hooked on it ever since. And um, so basically my start in the hunting industry here, just, just a brief thing, was with hunter specialties. If anybody knows the HS strut when David Carmen Forbes owned it, uh, I was blessed, uh, long story short, I just, to got, what got me started, I was already a hunter, but I loved the camera work, and I was always videoing everything I was doing anyway. So when the digital technology started coming out, I basically said, you know what, this is what I want to do. I just went and invested and bought the best equipment that I could possibly afford, and I started videoing people's hunts. And I did a lot of that stuff for nothing just to get my foot in the door. That's how I got started. and. So I was freelancing basically and subcontracting and it's all about meeting the right place, people at the right places. Coming to these shows, meeting the folks and before you know it, I landed a job with Hunter Specialties. They seemed to like my work ethic and like what I was doing. And that's how I got started in this. And I videoed everybody from Blake Shelton to all the big names, Stan Potts, everybody out there. And they were, I, so I'm blessed to learn a lot of their secrets, how they hunt, all these professional hunters. You know, Eddie Salter. Ray I. I've been with Ray. We've sat there many a time and they're together and so you pick up and you learn. You know what guys do that that's the best techniques for them and you pick up all that stuff. And then with my hunting knowledge and stuff as well, uh, I've just been blessed and and I'm going to quick tell you a quick story with Dave and Carmen Forbes and this is the God's truth. <laughs> and I'm telling off on myself but this is the truth. Eddie Salter, and we had Miss Carmen Forbes. And if anybody knows Carmen, she was the boss at Hunter Specialties. 
And this was when I was, this was kind of the make it, break it moment. We were up on their farm in Kirksville, Missouri. Turkey started gobbling before daylight. We could hear this turkey gobbling. We're sitting in the old HS truck out there. And we get out. Eddie shuts the door. The alarm goes off on the truck. I mean, it goes off. And here we are. And it's going off and going off and going off. Instead of the shutting the turkeys up, every turkey in that whole country must have been gone. They must have been 15 or 20 of them. Just, they couldn't shut their, <laughs> it was just, and we finally got it shut off and we decided to go this one. He seemed to be the closest, easiest to set up on. We get there, we get them set up. I've got, now this is back when these were big cameras, okay? I'm talking, I don't know if y'all, some of these great big ones with the big lenses with the double double lens and stuff on them, they weighed 40, 40 pounds probably wired out there. But I'm carrying all this beta cam equipment in, tripod, and I get set up, and we got Carmen there, and this turkey's gobbling, and the hens are yelping, Eddie's back here calling, and Lord have mercy, it hits. Here I am on my first hunt with the owner of Hunter Specialties, and my belly is going, just rolling. And this has never happened to me in a situation like that. I'm sitting here, and this turkey's gobbling, and I just know they're going to pitch on the limb. Well, the way we set up, we got a ditch behind us like this. And I'm telling you, y'all, my eyes are rolling in the back of my head. I'm just, I'm telling you, it's, it's something's going to have to happen. Yeah, I don't know if y'all ever been there in a situation like that. And I'm like, holy smokes, here I am. I'm looking at Carmen, and I'm just going, I'm, I'm biting my knuckles. And I'm telling you, I'm, you know, I'm pinching it. <laughs> and I finally, I look back there, and I see Eddie, and he's not paying no attention. She's not paying no attention. And I said, oh, boy. And I usually keep a camo cover around that tripod like this and around that camera lens, so I kind of had it hid. I thought, I think I'm going to have to do something. So I just slid off down in that ditch. And you talk about the back door trots and the chimney side squats, I had them. But let's just say I got it out of the way quick. I had them old wet wipes that we used to carry, those old hunter wet wipes. I got the job taken care of, and I slipped back up there. And to this day, I don't think they ever knew. I don't think they ever knew what happened there on that situation. And that was my very first hunt with Carmen Forbes. They what? I said they will. I'll see Eddie here this afternoon. Yeah, Eddie's my buddy now. They. Eddie Seller is, is, if y'all don't know Eddie, you need to stop by and see him. He's doing his own call production and stuff now, and he's, he's as good as they get. And I've learned, I'm going to tell you something, I've learned a lot from old Eddie on, on setups and stuff there. But I, you got to watch Eddie when you're videoing him, because as soon as, as soon as that turkey gives him an opportunity, there ain't no pre-roll. He's going to shoot that turkey. <laughs> I can tell you that. He's not a professional TV guy. I mean, he will shoot that turkey. But that was my start in the hunting industry. And I have, I've just now told that story. I've told it, I think, on a couple different occasions. But uh, that's, that's how it all happened. Now, had it went the other way, and thank God she shot that turkey. She got that turkey. We got it. But, buddy, that was, that was quite an experience. And I don't think that's ever happened to me since. But... Uh, I knew that, uh, <laughs> anyway, so I don't know, some of y'all might have some crazy experiences like that. I'm, I'll tell you, we all, that's one thing about hunting, you, you know, we expect the unexpected sometimes. He's talking about your bear story, huh? 
I tell you, they can get on you too. But uh, now I'm here to talk about whatever you want to. Because if you've got any questions about videography on turkeys or bow hunting turkeys, uh, I shot my 89th Longbeard this year with with my bow in Kansas. I've, I've been blessed to shoot 89 gobblers now with a bow, and so I, I can tell you how to run and gun them. I can tell you how to set up any way you know things that work for you, uh, what to do with your bow in certain occasions there. If you you know, you can always go to the old flower shop and rig you up something, you know, with those fake flowers and, and leaves, put around your, around your bow limbs and stuff like that. There's a lot of ways of doing it. Uh, most of the time I hunt turkeys out of a blind because you only have two or three, we're, we're always traveling. We only have about three days to hunt them. So I usually hunt them out of a blind and for several reasons, because I love to get all the camera angles of the turkeys coming in, they getting the spitting and the drumming and stuff like that. But uh, you know, um, anything like that. And uh, we've got some, uh, I've used those solid broadheads now, and if you really like to get them close and shoot their heads off at about five yards, makes it, you know, and it's ethical. You just take their heads off and it's over with. Either hit or miss. Yeah, hit or miss, and believe you me, I've seen some misses. <laughs> yes, sir. Talk about Paul. Paul? 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 Yep. And techniques with. Uh, Archery. Archery on on the turkey. Now, to me, the in the fall, the turkeys don't seem like in the spring. They, it's amazing to me sometimes how much movement I can get away even from a tree stand. But you know, if you're hunting them in the fall, depending on if you're wanting to, are you are you wanting to run and gun? You think, or are you wanting to set up like a, a blind blind? I mean, obviously, turkeys normally where you get them figured out what they're coming to if they're coming to uh, in the Midwest, if they're coming to a grain field or something like that. The main thing in the fall with turkeys is you got to have patience. That's I would say that's probably one thing that you know, unless you know where they're roosting, if you can get them figured out, obviously where they're roosting, where they're coming to to feed. They got to feed and water every day, and you know, and get set up. And I'll tell you something else in the fall. Do not be afraid to use decoys. I'm telling you, I've seen, I've had some of the best fights of gobblers coming and attacking the decoys in the fall as I have in the spring. And you can use hand decoys. I mean, they'll come to them. They really will. It works good. It's just now when you're setting up your blind, the one thing about turkeys is movement. Even in a blind, just be careful with your movement and watch how you set up with it with the sun. Don't let that sun become a factor. If you're trying to hunt them in the afternoon when they're coming back, maybe going to roost, or if you're in the morning, you know, catching that sun out of the east coming around the, you know, out of the east, try to set it up where that sun won't be a problem for you in the blind. That's probably one of the main things you got to watch on that. Uh, what's that? What kind of calls do you do in the fall? In the fall? I mean, obviously, I, I'm not afraid. I, I'm, I'm a turkey call for me. That it's all about calling turkeys up. So I'm not bashful. Uh, I don't know if you if you can run a good mouth call and you can key key, but you know, even old gobbler yelps. Uh, a lot of times in the fall, them gobblers running in bachelor groups. And if you're just in that area where you know turkeys are going to frequent and you've got some visibility and you've seen them either on your trail cameras or seen them, you know, off with binoculars, you can make, you know, what I'm saying, you can make some calls and stuff. Don't don't be bashful. And I would I would highly recommend using a decoy. If if that way they come in, they got the attention 
off you and it's on the decoy. It makes it so much easier to draw when you're trying to do it with a bow. For sure. And I don't know if you're right-handed or left-handed. I've kind of got a theory of drawing my bow. I like to be on the left-hand side of the blind a little bit more. I get to my camera here because I'm always videoing. But this way, it don't, it, when I'm pulling back, you, you follow what I'm saying? You're not hitting the blind on this side. You're, you're more in the center of the blind with your drawing arm, if that makes sense. That's just something that I like to try to do is set up on that side. Sometimes you may not have that luxury of doing it, depending how you set up. Make sure that blind is, guys, make sure it's open. I mean, I, I never use the screen. I understand if you do, you know, if you're wanting to try to keep yourself hid, it don't bother me. I, I, I've learned enough over the years, I, I'm, because I'm always videoing for one thing out of the blind. But you can do that, you can leave the screen up. Uh, you might want to take a test shot or two just to make sure you're hitting good through there with your broadhead. A lot of guys say expandable broadheads will catch and do this. I don't know, I've, I've never shot one through a mesh. So I can't answer that part because I always keep my windows open. But I'm also tucked back as far as I can get. You know, where you can get drawn, where the arrow's not, hopefully not sticking out the blind too much. But that's where the decoy does come in. And they work in the fall just like they do in the spring. Don't think they don't. You can, but for me, now normally because I'm wanting to shoot a gobbler, and this is another good question, I'm going to have a gobbler decoy out there because those gobblers are running in them packs and if they see a new boy on the block, man, I'm telling you, it can be, it can be on. And especially you can do, you know, aggressive calling, fighting purrs, you know, and them old gobbler yelps and, and get them fired up. Man, I'm telling you, it can, it can be on. It really can. And it's a lot of fun. And in some states, now Kansas, and I do a lot of hunting in Kansas, they've limited it now to one per fall. And that was one of the things I loved about Kansas. It used to be four, but their population's not what it once was. It's not, so it's it's one in the fall now. And I've heard they're thinking about totally cutting the fall season out. Coyotes? Coyotes is bad. Y'all coyotes and coons, I'm just telling you, encouraging you. I've got trail cameras where I've got 25 coons in one picture. It's it, We don't realize how, how bad it is. Nobody hunts them, nobody traps them, but I'm gonna have to make it a mission on some of the places I hunt because they they are hard on those hens when when they're nesting. It's it's bad. And Kansas, for instance, is a feed state. They can even feed in the spring, not on public land, but on private land. And what happens is those hens will nest close to where they come in to feed. Well, those darn coons are too, and that's that's what happens. You're getting them in close to those nesting areas, and they gonna bust them up. It, it's sad. I mean, I can't tell you in a, in a I mean, I'll start in March and run through May 31st. Guys, it's unreal how many hen nests I find broken up and busted <coughs> eggs and stuff. It, it's just, it is mind-boggling. But you're right, but that's a good question. Anybody else got any questions on anything we're talking about? Yes, sir. When you get your blind set up, you're using the decoy? Yep. I've heard that if you had your decoy facing out the way to the field that they sit out there and strut. Does that matter? Guys, I, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. I usually set them up 
if it's if it's a pretty aggressive turkey, it's kind of like deer hunting. If he's aggressive and he's got that attitude, he comes in kind of to the head. But if you got one out there that's timid, he's he may circle it a little bit and you know size it up and and may not even come in there and jump on it. The main thing for me is it just takes the attention to where you can draw your bow if you're bow hunting, but even gun hunting. It just takes the attention off. And I like the fact that I'm calling him in and he's seeing that decoy, you know. It just, it, and I usually will try to milk the footage. I understand as a hunter, if he gets in there and he gives you the opportunity, you're going to shoot him. And I get that. That's what it's all about. For us, we're trying to teach and inform and educate you and let the turkey, you know, hammer on the decoy or whatever. And, and honestly, that has taught me more about the turkey behavior. Guys, I, I, this is the truth. I, this fall, I'm, in a, I'm deer hunting, got my buck decoy out here. Three gobblers come. What it was, I seen them up there, and I just give them some yelps up there. And darn if they didn't come down here and they saw that decoy. Now, I'm, here's another thing. Deer decoys and turkey decoys work good together in a situation. If you're hunting turkeys, a deer decoy, I think they feel a calmness around one another. They ain't, everything's okay. Well, these three gobblers come in and they come up here. Here I am in a tree stand. I'm self-videoing. I've got four or five cameras running here. I got one over the head, one here on, two on the bow, and then I got the big camera. And then here's what I do in my situations in this, in like this buck decoy. I've got covert trail cameras set up on video mode to get those little POV angles of the buck coming in from different angles. I use trail cameras because I don't have to worry about them coming on. They're going to come on. They're going to kick on for me. So in this situation, these three gobblers are coming in out here, and I don't know how i done it, but I managed to get drawn and shoot that gobbler. He goes out there. He falls dead. There and I'm sitting there while well, I'm still deer hunting. Those other two gobblers, his buddies go over there. You know how they'll do? They'll go over there and kind of jump on him and they'll pick his head up and then everything. This went on for about an hour. And then those two got into it and pushed and shoved and had their necks locked forever. Well, then they go plumb out of sight from me. Right before dark, I hear them and here they come back to check on their buddy. They get right down there on him, and this one stays in full strut, squats down. The other one is trying to pick his buddy's head up and saying, oh, man, it's time to go to roost. And y'all, they sat there until it was so dark, I couldn't even see them before they flew up, waiting on that other gobbler. And it kind of had a little remorse about the situation, you know. It's like, <laughs> you know, here I am. I, I just took their buddy out. But I will say this. He was some dang good eating because we eat him for Thanksgiving and it was a, it was a great hunt for me I just I, I got a you know and uh, anyhow that's that's just one of the things you know that you can do I mean I love the fall hunting but it's getting tougher because y'all I'm seeing the turkey populations decline all across the country and I don't know why and nobody can give you an answer they're just not where I'm from in Arkansas we had we last year I think we, it was the record low kill for us there at home it, it was it was terrible, and um, but I don't know what the answer is. But I think one of the main things is is predators, and I highly encourage you guys. I'll tell you, there's a lot of things. I think armadillos. I think wild hogs. I think coons. Number one, coyotes, bobcats. Any of those is probably 
a factor, but we're going to have to do something about the coons. I can tell you that it's it's unbelievable. I've got I, I run trail cameras year round, and I know pretty much how many coons and stuff. I'm going to have to break down and start going in there and catch them, because nobody coon hunting no more. Nobody's trapping, but. Uh, and then, of course, all these wet springs we've been getting the last two or three years seems to, to have an effect on the hatches as well, I'm sure. Probably a combination of a lot of things. Are y'all seeing that same thing, too? I mean, I mean, and I don't think we got any more hunters than we did 10 years ago. Matter of fact, I don't think there's as many people hunting. I think we're losing the numbers there. The CWDs had a major, major issue in my area. I think the hunter numbers this year weren't what they were, you know, but uh, we're going to have to plug along. Anybody else? Man, keep going. Let's just keep this going. Yes, sir. Shifting gears a little bit, can you talk about turkeys and how they range? I've had a lot of experiences where I'm covered up with birds and then I go to hunt them, they're all gone. And then you get in deer season you have 20 hens and no gobblers I, I, I can and there again it depends on you know whether you can hunt the properties where they go but you know the three things that turkeys have to have and that's food cover and water but one thing I've noticed hens like it seems like in the spring they find those places that they like to nest and they'll go back to that you'll have them there in the fall and I'll tell you turkeys travel a lot farther than we th think I was just talking to a guy from New York where they had one banded and I, I never knew this they had a gobbler that was banded and he tra this is in New York in the mountains traveled 36 miles he was 13 years old when he was killed Inch and a quarter spurs, so that tells you that there's, that's another thing just like whitetail. It's a genetics thing on the spur issue. I don't think you can always tell just exactly the age of the turkey. I think there's places where they, look at Florida, look at their Osceolas, look at how good they grow their spurs. And then, you know, you take places like where I'm from in the mountains, those turkeys don't have very good spurs for the most part. Yeah. I'm Oklahoma. I'm close Oklahoma, yep, yep. Uh, yours is eastern there, kind of where you're at, don't it, or are they kind of a hybrid? Well, they're a hybrid, but we can find either one, right? depending on where you shift in the state. Now, one thing I found about turkeys, you know, hunting Osceolas, hunting Merriams, Rios, I don't think you can call too much to a Merriam or a Rio. I don't think, I mean, honestly don't. I think the more you call, the better chance you got. They're aggressive. Uh, to the calling behavior, but boy, you get on some of these easterns, buddy. You better be careful how, what you're doing and how much you do it, especially later in the season. If they've been, because I cut my teeth on public land there at home. We've got all kinds of public land, and that's how I cut my teeth. And I'm telling you, them old turkeys. It's funny, you know. You may hunt an old gobbler four or five days, and you can't do nothing with him. You go in there. Four or five days later, hit hit a call and he just comes running in. I don't know what makes them like it, but you'd catching him right. Yeah. You know, as Eddie Salter says, you get now you get to throw him over your back and 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 piggy, give him a piggyback ride to your truck. You know, <laughs> that's what we're all hoping for. But uh, no, that's a that's a good question. I think what you have to watch there. Is all right, that's all that I've got for you guys for the free portion of this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. 
If you would like to hear the rest of the seminar with Philip Vanderpool, then you will need to become a subscriber to the premium content of the Turkey Hunter podcast. And in order to become a subscriber, what you need to do is text the word Turkey Hunter. Make that one word with no spaces. Text that to the number 44. From there, all you need to do is follow some instructions that I'm going to send you. And then eventually, I'm going to send you a link that you can click on to become a subscriber to the premium content of the Turkey Hunter podcast. So that link will take you to the Podbean application where you can create your username and password and pay the $18 per year annual subscription fee. Your $18 subscription fee will get you not only the rest of the seminar with Philip, but it will get you the premium content for all of our past episodes, as well as the premium content for the next 52 weeks. There's a ton of content locked up under the premium subscription, and I think that you will enjoy it a great deal. Okay, I hope that you guys enjoyed that seminar. Philip was extremely kind to let Cameron mic him up and record the seminar for you guys. That's all that I've got for you guys this week. But before I cut you loose, I'm going to ask you to help me out with something. If you would, go to your podcast player application and click on the share button in your podcast player application. And you should have the option of sharing this episode to your timeline on Facebook and to your Twitter feed. And if you would do that for me, that'd be a huge help for the show and a huge help for me, and I'd be very appreciative. Right now, I've got to say thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.